Happy National Chicken Month to you all. This is Ricardo, and here are the audio eggs that Popping Collars will be leaving in your podcast feed for September 2022. We're hatching up a brand new episode of the flagship Popping Collars podcast this month. Your favorite irreverent Episcopalians get all fancy while discussing their favorite poetry and song lyrics. Betsy Carmody spreads her wings on a brand new episode of the PC Music Diary when she talks about the song I Am a River by the Foo Fighters. Going on 30 is serving up some chicken tenders with fava beans and a nice Chianti this month. When Betsy and Greg look back at that classic thriller, The Silence of the Lambs. Finally, Greg and Ryan strut their stuff on a brand new episode of The Sacred Six when they talk about their experiences walking the Camino de Santiago and La Rioja and Castilla y León. Thanks for listening to us clock on about religion and pop culture. And remember to keep those collars hot. Cluck, cluck. Welcome back to the Sacred Six. Sometimes an item in pop culture is just too big for one podcast episode. That's where this show steps in. I'm your host, Greg Knight. With me is our returning special guest, Ryan Parker. Welcome back, Ryan. It's good to be here. This is a fun conversation. Woo! Our journey, Ryan, has along the Camino de Santiago in Spain this month has taken us to the region of La Rioja and Castilla y León. So this is a sort of a small section. We're talking like uh, this little hilly area just past the Pyrenees, but before you get to the desert section. So Ryan, when you think back on hiking through the vineyards of La Rioja and all of this Spanish wine country, what is it that you uh, remember fondly? Wine? Wine. (laughs) No, I, yeah, well, wine's part of it. I mean, just a, exploring a new region through its agriculture um yeah. uh, one of the early lessons because you talk about coming down is uh walking downhill is harder than walking uphill yeah yeah absolutely a thousand I percent yes is the first it, this journey was the first time that i realized no downhill is not fun at all uh, give me uphill any day no uh, and spanish downhill i don't know if i it's hard to convey over audio so you're going down very loose rock, sometimes the size of like pond rocks that you would find at like Lowe's or Home Depot or something, those yep. big round rocks. Like um, so you're going down loose yeah. rock like that with like jagged stalactites, like poking up underneath them, right? Yeah. So it's like, if you if you go, you're going to scratch up all kinds of stuff on the way down those mountains. So fun. you're just picking your way down like a mountain goat. Yeah, there, and there were moments where getting into, you know, the La Rioja region where I just thought this this is not fun at all. This is I, I know I should be open to some spiritual <laughs> experience or lesson, but all I can think about is not eating it right now. Like right. if I can if I can get to wherever we're staying and not be bloodied and bruised, it will have been a good day.
It is day eight on the Camino de Santiago, and we are walking from Logroño to Najera. Fun facts about Najera. Najera named for its position between cliffs. is a city that has been in favor since Sancho III, El Mayor, made it the capital when Pamplona was captured. At the time, the Camino passed further to the north in the rugged but more protected mountains. His efforts moved the popular route to its current location. Sancho's preference brought the town much prosperity, including a market, which was an important element in the funding of the Monasterio de Santa Maria la Real. The rolling hills that you cross to get here are the setting for a famous set of battles between Roland and the Syrian giant Ferragut. The giant had already defeated countless warriors before the Frankish leader took him to task. They both lasted through several battles, resting together between them, before Roland succeeded in finding Ferragut's weak spot. Tales like these, and those of Charlemagne, serve to elevate towns like Nahera and the pilgrimage route as a whole to a near-mythical status. We are in La Rioja, which is best known for its wine. This is kind of the wine region of Spain. So, what do our walks look like? Well, they look a lot like they have for the last few days. Um, lots of open air, lots of exposed walking, lots of vineyards, lots of heat. It's vineyard walking. If you've ever been in uh, Northern California, you know what I'm talking about. So, just left Lagroño, which is one of the major towns. Uh, along the way. Lots going on. Uh, last night, well, all day yesterday, I guess, was the Festival of St. John. Uh, it's the feast day for St. John the Baptist, uh, celebrated six months before the birth of Christ. Uh, and it kind of gets um, lumped in with kind of like a midsummer uh, holiday for most of Europe. Um, it's not celebrated all over Spain. Uh, it's mostly celebrated around Barcelona and stuff like that. But, you know, occasionally, you know, Spaniards will break it out. Did I partake in any of the festivities? I did not. I had just walked 20 miles, you guys. I, I was not going to be uh, out all night <laughs> jumping through fires celebrating St. John the Baptist. I did wake up early this morning. We left at about 5 o'clock. And you'll be happy to know that the party was still going, even at 5.30 in the morning, walking through the streets of La Grona. So, there you go. Spanish parties. Spanish fiestas. Can't stop, won't stop. It is day nine on the Camino de Santiago. And we are walking today from Najera to Santo Domingo de la Calzada. Fun facts about Santo Domingo. Santo Domingo of the Road is named after a local monk, Domingo of Valoria, who dedicated his life to the care of pilgrims. In particular, he focused on the engineered elements of the way, building roads and bridges to improve the quality of passage. It was he that built the original bridge over the Rio Oja on the outskirts of town. The town is also the setting uh, for the miracle of the Hanged Innocent. The same miraculous story is told in various parts of Europe, Toulouse, France, and Barcelos, Portugal, and 
The miracle is confusingly attributed to either Santiago or Santo Domingo, depending on the telling. It centers around a family of German pilgrims who stopped to rest in Santo Domingo. When their young son refused the romantic advances of the innkeeper's daughter, she laid a trap. She stashed a piece of silver from the church in his bag and made sure to notify the authorities. He was charged with theft and sentenced to hang. These being medieval times, the body was left to hang for weeks as a warning to others. His parents, meanwhile, mourning their lost, finished their pilgrimage to Santiago. Returning through Santo Domingo de la Casada, they stopped to visit their son, fairly morbid visit given his state, and were astonished to find him alive and well, though still hanging. His weight had been supported by one of the saints. His parents knew a miracle when they saw one, apparently the rest of the townspeople did not, and went straight to the officials to report that he was alive. Incredulous, one of the officials replied that the boy was no more alive than the chicken he was roasting, whereupon the miracle continues with the reanimation of the chickens, which took to their feet clucking and squawking. The town never forgot the miracle, and part of the gallows remains on display in the cathedral transept over the saint's tomb. Descendants of the original chickens are kept alive and well-fed in a coop in the west transept. It is a Sunday, which means that when we get to our next town, it's going to be shut down by 3 o'clock in the afternoon, because that's how things work in Spain, which gives me a chance to talk about... Uh, cultural things. Oh, things shut down by 3 o'clock in Spain, which means that we need to get to town early if we want to buy dinner supplies and stuff like that for later in the day. That's that's why we're leaving early today. Okay, cultural stuff when it comes to Spain. Spain, let's talk about your Saturday nights, because these things are wild. All right, so I've been in Spain for three Saturdays now. One of those Saturdays was pretty quiet because we were in... Which is right after the climb over the Pyrenees on the first day of the Camino. There's nothing in Roncesvalles besides the albergue. So all you get are a bunch of sleeping pilgrims in one giant room. Which, you know, is its own kind of cultural oddity, I guess. And um, definitely not the easiest way to get sleep. However... The other two Saturday nights that I've been here, I've been in Ponte Dume in Galicia, and I've been in Nahara last night. Here's the best way that I can describe Saturday nights in Spain. All right, so you have the majority of the day. The bulk of daylight, which is when the sun is out, is taken up by... Anyone over the age of 55, let's say. If you walk through a Spanish town, that's all you're going to see. Are like elderly folks walking around, doing their business, having a good time. Then like right around 7 o'clock or so, 7 o'clock, 7.30, you'll start to see families with young children start to walk around streets. So you'll see people with strollers. You'll see people, you know, walking around with their kids and stuff like that. It's like, okay, all right, that's interesting. I haven't seen these kids all day. It's good to see them here now. 
I guess at dinner time, great. Then at about 10 o'clock or 11 o'clock, that's when all the teenagers and 20-year-olds that have been hiding up to this point, they all come out. And when I say they make a racket, what I mean is that they set off cherry bombs outside your window, like, for the entire night. And I know what you're thinking. You're like, oh, the entire night, like, until, like, 3 a.m. No. No. I mean, when I get up to leave in the morning, it, you know, if it's 5.30, 6, 6 they're still partying in the streets while the sun is coming up. It is wild. So, looking ahead to the Saturdays that I have left, I have quite a few Saturdays left at this point, I've started to earmark them as Greg gets no sleep Saturdays. You do you, Spain. It's, a, it's obviously a very different culture than what I'm used to. But it's okay. I'm a guest. I'm a peregrino. It's all right. I will roll with it. Whew. Saturdays. Wild. But as far as the region itself, it's, it's a bit of a re- reward, right? The going is a bit easier. Um, there are more food options. I mean, if I'm if I'm remembering correctly, we're we're starting to get into some bigger towns. Yeah, so it's like Lagronia, Nahara was yeah. like you know that town with the bridge, and it's got like all those restaurants down at the base and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, Burgos, of course, which is like a giant. It's the first sort of outside of uh, Pamplona, which is the first major town that you come to. Burgos like feels like this ginormous thing. I remember walking into Burgos and there were two ways that you could walk in. You could walk in through the industrial section of town or you could walk around the airport and come down a park and like walk through a park and basically go into town that way. Yeah. Yeah. And it felt like I was walking through that park for like five hours. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I remember walking through by the airport. Yeah. Feeling the exact same way. I feel like whenever you talk about the Camino, you have to talk about this at every stage if you're conceiving it in these different, or as as you do conceive it in these different stages. You know, at what point does taking a taxi or a bus to get you to your final destination, if you've walked 10 miles and then you've only got like three or four left and you decide to take a taxi, you you know, you hinted at this in the last episode. Did, did you miss something? Yeah. The section where I first learned, well, yeah, I think it was, in this section when we realized that you can hire a service to transport your pack to your next stop. Mm-hmm. And I thought, well, is that what a pil- would a real pilgrim do that? Real. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Um, no, and totally. I can't remember if we did that. I don't think we did, but if I did the pilgrimage again, I would. Yeah. No, this is but, where you're starting to like everything's starting to take on its own kind of life. And this is where you start to recognize that the Camino isn't, it's not a thing that lives in a book. Like it's a living thing that you're living through. So it's oh, like, yeah. you know, folks, like it blew my mind when someone said, I think I'll take a rest day. It's like, I'm sorry, you didn't plan your rest day. You didn't, you didn't like, what, like you're just deciding to stop in this town. 
like that's interesting yeah it's it's one of those things where it's like yeah you you play it you play it by ear a little bit you know you know um we did that too we we our original idea for the camino was that we would complete it and go somewhere for a rest for like a week go to a beach somewhere or something in spain and maybe have some friends from london come meet us or whatever and then as we walked we realized we're chasing something we're we're trying to get to something Mm -hmm. and so we scrapped that whole idea and said well let's just build rest days into our camino make that part of the journey right? right so we spent we would spend those in places like Burgos or uh, Lagrano, Leon, you know, we would stay maybe an extra day or two, be a bit walk, you know, walk around the city, yeah. but, uh, but, but just largely take a break. And, and that was uh, something we hadn't expected, you know, when we started. It is day 10 on the Camino de Santiago. And we are walking today from Santo Domingo de la Calzada to Belorado. Fun facts about Belorado. After a long string of nearly abandoned villages, Belorado is something of a wonder. Once again, we have geography to think. Belorado sits right in the middle of a narrow pass that cuts through two hillsides. The difference in altitude is small, less than 200 meters, but the hills are steep enough to provide some protection and fighting advantage. It was well developed before the arrival of Santo Domingo, with his knack for setting towns on an east-west axis. At one time, the town boasted eight churches, a thriving market, and two pilgrim hospices. Also of note are the caves that dot the hillsides here. They drew a not insignificant number of hermits to the area, many of which became well-known. Santo Domingo chose a life of hermitage when he was turned away from the monastery, and other orders like that of St. Milian also began with a single cave-dwelling hermit. And uh, day 10, that means that we are a third of the way to Santiago. I can see it on the horizon right now. That's not true. All I see on the horizon right now is wheat, which is all I've seen on the horizon for a while now. So that gives me time to talk about a couple of things. One, let's talk weather. Uh, So I remember mentioning back in the Navarra section of the podcast that it was hot, crazy hot, hotter than it's ever been in Spain during this time of year, uh, you know, getting up to like 35, 36, 37 degrees uh, Celsius, very hot. And now flip that, reverse it, turn it around. We, I think, topped out at like 13 degrees yesterday. It feels about like it's 10 degrees Celsius today, it is very cold. Um, If you look up in the sky, you'll just see clouds going for miles. It's almost like this sort of blanket of cold that's kind of been put over the top of everything. So some wild swings in the weather, definitely. We've gone from extremely hot to extremely cold over the course of two days. So that's interesting. There's your weather report from the Camino Trail. Second thing is, uh, right now I'm walking from Santo Domingo de la Calzada to 
Belorado. Uh, okay, so Santo Domingo, trippy thing happened. I showed up in town, and uh, right outside, so the main, all these towns that you walk through, the main focus of every town is the church. And the church is usually like right in the center of town, and it's usually built on a hill. Um, Santo Domingo isn't built on a hill, so it's okay. It's um, But the cathedral in Santo Domingo is in the center of town. It's a gorgeous cathedral. But as I'm walking in, I look at a banner that says that the Cathedral of Santo Domingo de la Casada is celebrating its 1,000th anniversary. The... The cathedral was built in the year 1019, and they celebrated the millennium anniversary of the cathedral in 2019. See, okay. I mean, listen, you don't have to be a church nerd to appreciate that that is freaking amazing. That this place, this building, has been around for that long in human history. I mean, we're talking wars, we're talking famines, we're talking epic things that could have easily destroyed this building at any point. It probably did. Um, you know, I'm sure it's been rebuilt and rebuilt and rebuilt, just like all sort of European architecture throughout history. But, you know, the fact that something can exist for that long, it's just mesmerizing. I was just sitting there this morning um, before we left town, just sitting on the steps, looking up at this cathedral, just thinking, gosh, I mean, all those generations of Christians, all those millions of Christians that were walking this trail, were, uh, you know, worshiping in this cathedral. It's just, it just blows your mind. And it just helps you to appreciate that, you know, we are... We are part of a much larger thing. Uh, you know, it's not just us. Uh, and we did not invent this stuff. Um, we are part of a larger story. Those are the things that are on my mind come day 10. <laughs> so, uh, we're about to leave the La Rioja region. We're going to be coming up on the region of Castilla y Leon very soon. So, okay, this is my only complaint of the day. I promise. So, for the next seven kilometers, I'm going to be walking on a gravel path beside the highway in a cold, misty drizzle. I said for the next seven kilometers. See, this is the part that this is the part that uh, you kind of blank on when you're looking at doing the Camino, which is that it's not all forests and nature trails, you guys. Sometimes it's just walking beside the highway, exposed to the elements for seven kilometers 
Good morning, everyone. Today is day 11 on the Camino de Santiago, and we will be walking from Belorado to Agues today. Not a whole lot to say about Agues. It's just a little town that's kind of halfway between Belorado and Burgos, which is the bigger town. But, you know, a little fun fact about, I guess, it's a pleasant but small town with a quirky mix of albergues. So there you go. And just outside of town, on your left-hand side, and likely obscured by tall grass, sits one of San Juan de Ortega's smaller engineering feats. It only takes one span to cross the diminutive Rio Vena. So look forward to crossing a river in one step. That'll be fun. Uh, but that gives me a chance to talk about albergue. So last night we stayed at our second parochial albergue, which is, uh, basically like a church run albergue. So what is an albergue? An albergue, for lack of a better word, is a hostel. Um, it's a cheap place to stay while you're on the Camino. And alberges, there's lots of different types. There's, honestly, there's lots of different types, but... If you had to break it down, you could probably sum it up in three different types. One is kind of like where I stayed last night, which is, like I said, a parochial. So that's usually like a church-run albergue. Um, The one last night was attached to a church, Santa Maria in Belorado. And those usually run on donations. So you have sparse, 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 sparse amenities. For instance, uh, the place I stayed last night, no Wi-Fi, no plugs to like charge electronic devices for the most part. There was one in like a common area. Basically, they gave you a kitchen and you could make a meal if you wanted to and you have a bed that you can sleep on and that's pretty much it. Uh, Then a step up from that. Oh, and there's no set charge for those kinds of albergues. They're called donativos, which means that you can basically pay whatever you want to. It's a it's a convenient way for pilgrims who don't have a lot of money to be able to walk the trail. Then, a step up from that is what's called the municipal albergues, sometimes also called the shunta albergues, uh, which is uh, government-run facilities. These tend to be cheap, cheap, cheap somewhere around the range of like seven to eight euros uh, to stay there. Um, But again, sparse amenities. You get some cold showers, you get some uh, beds that may or may not be clean, that may or may not have um, linens, you know, clean linens that you can put on them or paper linens that you can put on them. Uh, So municipal albergues are, you know, high risk, in the sense that you may come out with a few bites on your legs uh, the next morning, but a high reward in the sense that you're not spending a lot of money on them. And then finally, the creme de la creme are private albergues. Private albergues are just that. They're sort of like family-run albergues um, that tend to cost more. You're talking like somewhere in the range of like 12 to 15 euros to stay there. However, you get a hot shower, you 
sometimes get a meal out of it, like dinner or something like that. You have lots of sort of creature comforts. Um, if you're staying in a dorm, sometimes they'll have a curtain or they'll limit the number of bunk beds to a room. Uh, sometimes uh, they'll uh, have uh, double rooms available. So if you are sick of sleeping, you know, with eight of your fellow peregrinos and you just want a night to yourself and one other person, they usually have like private rooms and stuff and you can get a good night's sleep. So albergues, um, know your albergues before you come on the Camino. Man, I'm, I'm really fascinated by this idea of the Camino being a living thing and an evolving thing. Yeah. Because it's clear if we think about the way technology has impacted people's journeys, the way it allowed people back home to feel connected to our journey, because I would post 10 photos a day. But I love this idea of something, something is dying, but being born again, like being reborn yeah. in a different way. I don't know. I would, I would be fascinated to walk it post COVID. You know what I mean? Like, like your experience, how it would be different than what we had. I don't, Cause you have nothing to compare it to. And you know, right. it may be back to normal, like by the time we can go again, you know, I'm putting normal in quotes. I would, I would say this, I don't know how much more back to normal it could possibly be. Uh, bunks yeah. on top of bunks. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, yeah. Speaking of bunks. Okay. There's two things I want to get to really sure. quickly. Yeah. One is food and one is lodging. Because when I think about this thing, and this is what I learned from this section, and I'll let you chime in on what it is that you learned from this section. But what I learned was the rule of life for how pilgrimage is going to go. So remember, I talked last time about like kind of getting your sea legs, getting your hiking legs under yeah, you yeah. for that yeah. first week, because you're you're making all the wrong decisions or you're, you're making right decisions. You're just figuring it out. This is where you start to learn the pattern of life that's going to sustain you for the rest of the month, right? Mm -hmm. So it's like um, yeah. laundry days are going to be every third or fourth day. You know, that's where I'm going to find like a laundromat, throw them all in, get it all done, have a clean pack, you know, all of that stuff. Uh, these are going to be pincho days for dinner. And these are going to be like pilgrim menu days for dinner. You know, uh, if I get to town by this time, I'll have a Kanya you know, which is like a small beer. If I get to town by this time, I'll have a Yara, which is like a giant beer. <laughs> yeah. So it's like, this was when I was starting to figure out like what the pattern was that it was going to be. Like, when was I going to wake up? You know, if it was like a packed dorm, I was going to be out the door by 5.30. If it was a private room, well, maybe I'll give myself until like 6.30. Gonna to have go, a line. You know? It's yeah. like stuff like that, you know? You know, and I, I think why the Camino is such a powerful experience for people, you've just touched on it, is you enter into a rhythm. I think we're rhythmic beings, you know, but it, it's chances are it's going to be completely different than the rhythm of the life that you left behind, even though you're mm -hmm. only leaving that behind for maybe a month or month and a half. Um, and it's just such a beautiful thing. You're not worried about your next Zoom call or business meeting or youth group hangout or whatever it is. I'm throwing out like ministerial roles, but right. You know, you're, you're just so attuned to the people around you yourself, you know, all these kinds of things. So yeah. And I think you do. I think after that first week you've, you've hit your rhythm 
And we would do the same thing. We would talk about how we were going to reward ourselves. Like, what would our reward be, you know, or where we're going to eat or whatever, which I think is deeply spiritual. It's nourishing. It's this is I'll try to keep the story very, very short. But I remember we were in, I believe it was Lagronio. And I ran into somebody who worked at the graduate school that I went to. We had never met each other. But I would I worked in the mail room when I was at school, you know, make a little bit of money. And I would drop mail off at his desk every day. You know, we would just say hi or whatever, but we didn't really know each other. And we ended up going out in Lagronio and having this wonderful dinner and hanging out on the street. Because, you know, these pincho spots, you just go from one to the other and eat. And, and it's just like, you realize, God, this is such a small world. And um, the people that we meet, there are a couple of people we met around that time that still text us. Yeah. Holidays. It's just it's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. So speaking of food. Okay, so there's there are some things like that are consistent. So for instance, you you got to be okay with ham. You got to be okay with cheese. <laughs> like you got to be okay. You got to. You got to be, okay. be okay with like hard crusty bread because mm-hmm. those three things are going to be a staple of just about every meal that you eat. So. You got to be good. Do you have tortilla? Did you have a? Was I had to, so I was day? still in tortilla mode at this point. So I was I was down in some tortillas by this point. Big, and I'll get into the big thick egg dish here, everybody. Yeah. So yeah. when we say tortilla, we mean Spanish tortilla. It's basically like an omelet. So it's, it's egg, cheese, yeah. and then it's got layers of potatoes uh, inside, and you can throw in peppers, onions, stuff like that. Occasionally, it will fill you up. Yeah. yeah. And the other thing that I would say is that pinchos actually became like a set, a lifeline for me because mm. I realized that I was starting to rack up, you know, pretty decent bills doing the pilgrim menu every night. And if I just order a beer, which is super cheap, I mean, beers are like Couple a bucks. buck 50, right? <laughs> like yeah. beers are like buck 50, 250, yeah. you know, at most. Right. So if you just order beers, they'll just bring out the pinchos, right? They'll just start loading up your table with like little hors d'oeuvres. And you can, you can eat off of that for like the entire night. For sure. Yeah. As long as you just keep drinking. Like that's. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And, and beer is liquid bread. So you're, you've got your carbs and you get your protein and you're good to go. But pinchos are great. I mean, they'll have tortilla. Is like a pincho. So they'll also have, um, I had pulpo. I had like a, a single serving of pulpo for pinchos yeah. one time. Yeah. You know, a That's before you watched my octopus friend. So yeah, my octopus friend, <laughs> he just looks delicious to me now. I mean, <laughs> Good morning, everyone. It is a chilly morning to start day 12 here on the Camino de Santiago. We are walking today from Ages to Burgos, Burgos, uh, one of the bigger cities that we're going to encounter on the way. Fun facts about Burgos. Burgos was originally founded at the end of the 9th century in a bid to repopulate these northern plains from the expulsions of the Muslims around the end of the 11th century. It quickly became one of Castilla's most important cities. It was here that the Catholic kings Isabel and Ferdinand welcomed home Christopher Columbus after his second voyage to the New World. And it was here where General Francisco Franco 
was publicly proclaimed as Generalissimo in 1936, and which would serve as the dictator's base of operations until the end of the Civil War. Set along the wonderful Rio Arlanzon, the city was built with massive walls and even more massive gates. In spite of this, the territory of Burgos, uh, but more to the point, Castilla, was widely disputed. The seed for much of the fighting was the will of King Fernando I, who, although wise enough to rule over the northern regions, was not too clever in managing his estate. He chose to divide the north into three regions upon his death, with each region going to a different heir. Alfonso VI received Leon, Garcia received Galicia, Sancho II received Castilla, and his daughter Oraca received the city of Zamora. More land disputes followed, and in the end, it was Alfonso that reigned over the whole territory and was crowned the emperor of the Iberian Peninsula. This was at the end of the 11th century, and the wealth collected by Alfonso from tariffs throughout the peninsula was transformed into palaces and a cathedral, catapulting Burgos into prosperity. Burgos is also the home of El Cid, a fierce warrior and cunning politician. He was uh, banished from the city by King Alfonso for having forced him to take an oath attesting to his innocence in the death of his brother Sancho. El Cid would eventually turn down an invitation to return and fight for Alfonso and instead traveled east to Valencia, where he maneuvered himself into a kingdom of his own. He is now buried in the Burgos Cathedral. So not only are we going into Burgos today, but it is also the last day for this stretch of the Camino. Uh, it's our last entry for the La Rioja and Castilla y Leon section. Uh, we're not leaving Castilla y Leon. We're still going to be here, but we're going to be in a section of it that's commonly called the Meseta. So that's going to be its own episode, and we'll talk about what that means next time. But reflections on this part of the trail. So I feel like I kind of leveled up as a pilgrim over these last five days uh, going through this section after finally leaving Navarra. You know, Navarra was just sort of so tied up with the situation with the fires and what I was personally feeling about what I thought my Camino should be versus what the Camino actually was for me and all of that. You know, these last five days, what I've been thinking is that, and bear with me here, this whole process isn't unlike a role-playing game. <laughs> okay, I, I know that that sounds strange, but I don't mean like Dungeons Dragons. I mean, like, when I was a kid, I used to play like, um, Final Fantasy games, right? And it was this whole, there was this whole thing that happened in these video games where you would start off, you would form a party, right? So you would have, like, your main characters and, um, they would have sort of partners that would, um, aid them on their journey and stuff. But then what inevitably happened in any Final Fantasy game is that at some point during the game, like a reset button would get hit. Um, not the actual reset button on the Nintendo. Uh, just storyline-wise. Everything that you learned 
about how the game worked and how it operated and what it is that you mastered along the way, um, suddenly it was changed and your, your characters were either reset to a lower level of power or you, you know, the, the world map would change drastically and you would have to relearn where things were located and refined characters along the way and stuff like that. So that's what my La Rioja and Castilla y Leon region has been like. It's been sort of coming to terms with the fact that my Camino reset happened very early on um, as a result of something that couldn't be controlled. And so I've, you know, it was kind of like I formed my party. I was ready to go. I learned the tutorial. I learned the basics of the game. And then just as I was about to start the game, the game changed. Everything changed. And so what my Camino has been is just kind of, okay, well, what what comes next, right? Let's just kind of play this out and see what comes next. The other thing that goes along with that, however, is that you have these moments where you'll rediscover people along the way that you thought you would never see again. So, for instance, I've reconnected with people who we left St. John with that I, you know, I'm just shocked when I run into them on the trail. I'm just like, oh my gosh, what happened? Where did you come from? What is your story? And it's just, it's amazing, you know? It really blows your mind every time. There was this one day where I was walking beside the highway. I think I even recorded it not feeling great. You know, it was cold, it was misty, and I was walking beside a highway for seven kilometers. And I was very angry and just wanted to stop. And then all of a sudden, just, you know, halfway down the road, I encountered a guy from Venezuela that I had not seen since, like, day two. And we just spent, you know, an hour and a half, two hours just catching up, walking beside that highway. And it just made everything so much better. That's what this Camino experience is. It's it's like, um, it's not unlike a, a role-playing game, like a Final Fantasy game, because it is a quest. Like, we're on a quest for something down the road, and we're just kind of walking the world map to get there. But what's amazing is that it's not the it's not the goal, it's not the destination. None of that is uh, the important thing right now. The important thing is just meeting new people and rediscovering those folks that you thought were long lost that all of a sudden come back again. Just really joyous. Anyway, Lario has been great. That's <laughs> what I'm trying to say. And uh, the next section of the trail is called the Maseta. It's the desert section of the trail. Every day, you just kind of walk to the horizon. It's supposed to be a real mental struggle. So we'll see how we get through that part. In the meantime, uh, Buen Camino. Uh, one last thing about La Rioja, and I'll yeah. just see, sort of see if this maps onto your memory of it. Mm-hmm. So at this point, you're out of the you're out of the mountain mountains, and you're just kind of into these rolling hills. And what I mm-hmm. always remember taking away from this whole 
uh, scene is like every time you came up over a hill, there would be a little town. You would see like a town with a little church in the middle. And you'd be like, well, I guess that's where I'm going next. Right. And you would go down the hill and into that little town. And then you'd leave that town and you'd go up another hill and then you'd crest that hill and you'd see another thing. It was like a whole it's like new worlds were kind of unfolding in front of you as you kind of went along. And I remembered thinking like, oh, my gosh, this is like this is like something out of like a 70s tv show you know like a kung fu or something like that where it's just like what's the new episode gonna be you know is it gonna be like some little country town is it gonna be like some medieval town is it gonna be a big city who knows what's on the other side of that hill you know yeah same same the rolling hills i mean if anybody's you know listens to this that's been to a lot of wine regions i mean it's if you've been to sonoma or hillsburg you've you've seen a bit of what the Camino, a large stretch of the Camino looks like, and it's beautiful. It's stunning. All right. That is it. La Rioja in the books. Up next, we're looking at the longest section of trail, commonly called the Meseta, which is the desert section of trail. Ryan, are you ready for the treadmill that is the Meseta? The tra- I love this idea of it as a treadmill. That's so cool. Or like the, <laughs> you know, I remember halfway through that region, uh, thinking, God, I just wish you had a people mover like at the airport <laughs> and stand on it and it takes you through. But you know, people bag on that section, and I get yeah. why you just said it. But oh, no. I loved it. I thought it was beautiful. All you're going to hear me do is gush about it in the next episode. So, really? Know, absolutely. I love oh, it. Oh, I can't wait. It was, my, it was my absolute favorite section. I, great. All right. We will see you then in the desert. Now, here it is your Camino moment of Zen.